We're going to continue reading from the book of John, chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 9 through 14. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Be seated. Let's pray and ask God to bless this reading and proclamation of his word. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your grace. We're praying that this Christmas would be something that would truly glorify you and we'd worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Well, Merry Christmas! Yeah, I am so excited. It's Christmas, but it's weird because, you know, have you heard the saying, that's about as long as Christmas. It feels like it's finally here. And in Texas, Christmas means uh, a lot. It, there's obviously Jesus. There's obviously presents, but it's also a football playoffs. Does anybody else know that? All right. And so there's a, some really exciting things because your University of Texas Longhorns apparently are in the playoffs. This is wild. As well as the Dallas Cowboys. Look, I mean, what is happening? This is not, this, this is, you know, this is like, don't get your hopes up. I, listen, this is Christmas. Keep the hopes high. But the, and the, you're probably wondering, how are you going to pair football and Christmas? Well, in Christmas, there are lots of signs. And we're going to talk about signs here in a second. And football, there are lots of signs. So we're, if you are a person of football, we're going to go over some signs. And I want you to educate the rest of the class what some of these signs mean, because they're going to be stuck with the football game on anyway. They might as well know some of the signs. Okay. All right. Ready? We'll go some starts with the easy ones. What's this one? Nice. Okay, good. All right. A little bit, a little bit harder, a little bit harder. Uh, what's this mean? Incomplete. Good. Okay. What about this one? Oh, awesome. That has double meanings. Really challenging there. All right. So all of those are signs, but if the signs aren't attached to a meaning, you don't have a clue. In fact, the past couple of weeks, as we look at the story of Christmas, we looked at essentially four different signs. We saw the sign uh, that was given to Zechariah when the angel Gabriel said, hey, guess what? You're going to be a dad. And he's like, you don't understand. My wife, it's like past menopause. This ain't happening. And he's like, because you didn't believe, it, I'm going to give you a sign. You're going to be deaf and mute until the day your son is born. And so that was a sign to John, or a sign to Zechariah. The next sign came to Mary. Gabriel goes to Mary. Guess what? You're going to be a mom. And she's like, I've never you know, been with a man. And she's like, don't worry. Go visit your cousin Elizabeth. And she's in her sixth month pregnant. And she goes, that's the sign. And so she goes over to Elizabeth's house and wow, Elizabeth is pregnant. She just like, how is that possible? It's all things are possible with God, turns out. Yeah. And so she gets excited and she heads back and Joseph's like, so angel of the Lord came to you at night and you're pregnant with the son of God. 
Okay, and he was going to divorce her, but God speaks to him through an angel uh, in a dream, says, take, don't be afraid, take Mary as your wife. He, he is not afraid. And then he heads down to Bethlehem where uh, the baby is born in a manger and shepherds not far off from there. They see angels and they say, great news. This is unbelievable, great joy. Check it out. For unto you is born a savior who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, or the King. And this is the sign for you that you're going to find a baby, which they're like, okay, baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, which that's not a big deal, but lying in a manger. And shepherds knew what mangers were. They were like, in a manger? That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. But the weird thing about it, Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And the place where he is laid when he's first born is into a feeding trough. There's a theme going on here with Jesus that you, your soul feeds on Jesus like your body feeds on bread. And so eventually, uh, then the last sign was a, a sign in the heavens. The wise men from the east, magi, if you will, look to, towards the east. They're like, oh, there's the, there's the king star. The Messiah is being born in Judea. And they head 700 miles to Jerusalem. They find out where he's born and they go and they worship him as they followed the sign. And that has been like this powerful story of all these different signs sort of leading up to this moment as we talk about Christ. Now, what we're going to talk about is the incarnation. We just talked about it a little bit. Uh, and, and I think the part that can be challenging is what does it mean? What does it, what does it matter? Like, okay, so the incarnation, what does that matter? And as I was trying to think of how I could explain this best, um, uh, and this is like, you know, after you've done a bazillion Christmases, you're like, how can I share something new about something we've been talking about for years? And I came up with something, or hopefully this will make sense to you. So when I was in Iraq, I always got to go to war story on this one. Uh, when I was in Iraq, I was commanding soldiers, uh, tanks, uh, Bradley fighting vehicles, like up armored personnel vehicles, uh, armored personnel carriers. And we would, um, go and fight the enemy and we get shot at with an RPG, a rocket propelled grenade or an IED, an improvised explosive device. Snipers would, you know, bullets would dash all around you. That was sort of the environment. And we would patrol this highway that connected Fallujah and Ramadi during the times where that, those were not very fun places to be. And so um, on one particular day, there was a mass of people. Uh, I would call them a mob of people gathering at one of the mosques in town. And at first it was like, you know, 20, 30 people. And you're like, okay, you know, a bunch, maybe there was like a service I didn't know about. Then it grew to about 50, 60. And then they started shouting at us. And that new, and I was like, this is not going well. And all of a sudden there's hundreds of people that were not happy campers, uh, angry at our presence. And I'm like uh, talking to my colonel who, who could see it all uh, from the unmanned aerial vehicle that was going in a circle. And I was like, okay, I know he sees this. And I'm like, just trying to keep the crowd happy. And there's like some, you know, they're coming out with their list of demands uh, that they want to see, you know, the U S military take. And I'm sitting there going like, if something goes wrong, uh, like somebody's a little bit more trigger happy than they should be. And you know, we have like, this could be, this could go very, very badly. And I'm, I'm nervous. We've, I've already gotten a, a letter of uh, concern for the violence on behalf of my men. I'm just thinking, man, how in the world is this going uh, to go well? And in that tension, of, of, without me realizing it, my, the colonel comes onto the scene and he steps out. And there's some memories that I had of when the colonel stepped onto the battlefield. One was, he doesn't come to the battlefield very often. 
That was the first thought that I had. It's like, this is scary. Like, do we have, it, it, it just kind of, I was like at the time, like 28, and it felt like he was like 28 years older than me, right? It was like one of those moments where you're like, that guy's, I don't know if he should be running around with all that gear. It reminded me of just how vulnerable he made himself. Now, he was vulnerable. Like he was exposed to the enemy. He could be shot at by a sniper. That would have been a great target. Uh, he could have, uh, if an IED, the improvised explosive, a, a bomb went off, he could get hit by that. He was not in the bunkered tactical operations center where you would stay and just maneuver people around, tell people where to go, told, told me to maneuver my people. I'd tell them to go maneuver and we'd just go around the battlefield. And there he was fully vulnerable. And then the second thing that I realized was that he, when he stepped on the battlefield, all responsibility shifted from me to him. Like no matter what happened, if, if people started firing and like things got out of control because he was on the field of battle, he took it all. Responsibility. All the success and all the failure. And that's, I mean, a small picture. Maybe a small picture, a window into what it's like, what Jesus did in the incarnation, becoming vulnerable and responsible. Watch this. Uh, John 1 Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh. And this is so deep. I, I could spend hours talking about how the word is the logos. The, the Greeks looked at that as like the, the principle, uh, an, an impersonal principle that sort of ruled the world, uh, like gravity or something. But it didn't have feelings. But then it became flesh. And that blew their minds that the impersonal became personal. The thing that all the principles that created the world was not just some impersonal force, but rather a person who stepped into space and time because he so loved the world. And he dwelt among us. Now, the first thing I think about with the word is the word had, had come into and had been on the scene from way past where uh, if you've ever read the story of Genesis, he speaks and animals come to life. He speaks and people show up, plants, matter, heaven, stars, whales, platypus. I mean, he, that's his deal. He loves to make weird stuff and it's super fun. And then, you know, you read a little bit later into in Exodus and the, the, the angel of the Lord or the word, it's worship, but he talks about God in this kind of abstract third person way, but it's a burning bush, impenetrable and giving the commands to Moses and I am with you. And there, there's a lot of confidence when, when the, when the angel of the Lord, when the Lord says he's with you, take off your sandals, Moses, you're on holy ground. And he does, and he worships and he leads the people out of slavery. And then they're, as they're about to go in the promised land, there is the word manifest in a, the commander of the Lord's army shows up armed to the teeth. And I can appreciate that. And he's like, let's go. And he's like, whose side are you on uh, warrior dude? He's like, no, whose side are you on? Now, that's just awesome. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And Joshua worships the commander of the Lord's army. And they go on to defeat the enemy. Or later on in the exile, you've got uh, the, the, the son of God in the midst with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they're being burned alive, but no fire touches them because no fire touches the other one that was in the fire, Jesus. And so we get, we've seen Jesus when he steps on the scene, he always wins. But then all of a sudden in the incarnation, in this unbelievable story, the word becomes flesh. It can, it can bleed. It can hurt. 
And that's what we love about Jesus. Um, he is vulnerable like a baby. What's so wild, all the principles that spoke the world into existence was in a five pound, seven ounce baby boy that you could hold in your hands. But he doesn't stay a baby, right? He grows up. And then he has the vulnerability then is he has the vulnerability to be betrayed. Have anybody ever been betrayed before? You ever like give your life to somebody and then they check out. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by people who said, I am with you. Wherever you go, I'm with you. And he knows what it is to suffer loss and sadness. And when death comes, he understands the pain of, in fact, he shows up to a funeral service and there's this point at which uh, Mary and Martha come to him. Martha is like, Jesus, if you only would have been here, my, my, uh, brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus like, chill out, hold my beer. I got this. I am the resurrection of life. And then this like five minutes later, here comes Mary. She runs out. Jesus, if you only would have been here, my brother would not have died. And then he does something absolutely bonkers. He starts crying. What Martha needed was a little pep talk. What Mary needed was weeping. And he gets pain and he gets loss and he gets hurt. And that's why it becomes more powerful. It says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. It becomes more intentional because he's been there in the, that. And more importantly, he knows what it is to suffer. He has experienced pain like nobody else. He understands the suffering that comes from uh, obedience. In fact, uh, he knows what it's like to have prayers not answered. You prayed, you prayed like, God, please, please let this thing, please. And you pray and then nothing. And Jesus gets that. When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, there he was. And uh, he's praying to the father. And this is so wild. They've been in com- constant communion for eternity past. He says, let this cup pass from me. Three times he prayed that, yet not my will, but yours be done. He knows what it's like to get a no on a prayer. And then on top of that, if you've ever felt like God just is not even there. On the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he cries that out, he experiences the hell that many of us feel a lot of the time that is like this disconnect from God Almighty. He gets it. And that can only happen because the word became flesh. He is completely vulnerable to all the things that we are. It's all of a sudden Superman takes off. He just goes full kryptonite and he's kind of experiencing what we experience. And I love that because that gives me hope because he gets me like no other. All right. Now, second, second, the thing that, that Jesus also does in becoming flesh is he's able to take responsibility for our past present and future. And that is what everybody needs. Watch this. This is what's, I love this part just before in verse 10, it said, uh, he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. Right. When the, when Jesus shows up, he makes himself known. He does all these crazy miracles. People are like, nah, I don't know. I think I've seen people just, you know, blind see. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to go with you there. He came to his own. The people that has all the stories written about when the Messiah comes, the blind are going to see, the lame are going to walk. The good news is going to be preached to the poor. And they're like, nah, 
But he came to his own, they did not receive him. And I think this is the struggle. They couldn't receive him. And the reason why is they weren't born of God. And that's the part that becomes wild. Watch this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The thing here is that you've got to be born again. In fact, this is where John three talks about this whole thing about being born again. And when you hear born again, I'm not saying everybody, but some of you, you're like, okay. I know the people that need to be born again. They're on drugs somewhere. They're addicts somewhere. Their, their life is a complete train. And I agree. They need a whole second start and they need a brand new start. They need to be born again. In fact, uh, one of my favorite people here is Joel. Joel, you would go, that guy screams at the top of his lung, bursts a couple of eardrums every often because he's worshiping the Lord. And that's why we love Joel. Because what you don't know about Joel is he was a drug addict for many years and alcoholic and broken. And then God came and saved him. And so the expression of his worship is exuberance because he came and broke through to Joel and said, I got you. That's why we love Joel. Yeah, you can clap for Joel. But let's be real. There's a lot of us here. It's like, I listen, I appreciate Joel. That's so good for Joel. But me, I'm, I might have a little bit of anxiety, like kind of a mid-grade anxiety all the time. Uh, but I, that anxiety keeps me, keeps me on my toes. I'm, I'm always on it because if I'm not on it, who's going to be on it for me? I don't want to give responsibility to Jesus. That seems like such a cop-out. And that's pride. In fact, Jesus in two chapters later, he meets up with the most sophisticated individual in all of Israel. And that individual's name was Nicodemus. And he goes, Nicodemus visited him. He's like, hey, rabbi, we know that you are from God because nobody could do the things that you could do without being from God, which is really respectful, very diplomatic. And he comes to it at night just so it's him and Jesus. And Jesus doesn't go like, well, thank you for that observation. I really appreciate your work too. He doesn't. He just blasts him. He says, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And this is the guy that he doesn't have a drug problem. Uh, he doesn't have... Um, he doesn't have, he hasn't, he's been paying his taxes. He has any debt issues. He, he doesn't, you know, he's not looking at porn secretly on his phone. This guy doesn't, isn't like that. He is a good upstanding citizen. And the very first thing Jesus says, like, you've got to be born again. And that's the part that I think some of us struggle with. We get it when the, the person that's completely wrecked their life, they need Jesus. No, no, you've completely wrecked your life. Even if you think you have it all together, you just don't know it. And that's why the, the press of this is that Jesus kind of presses on you and says like, you must be born again. One of my favorite stories is John Wesley. You may have heard of the Methodist church. He founded that whole church. And while he, he was trying to be a really good person, he was like, I'm going to be a really, he started a holy club at Oxford. I mean, the guy was holy, but he w- did not know Jesus. He would go in, he's like, I'm going to be a missionary. Maybe I can be finally holy enough. He had mid-grade anxiety, just like the rest of you, not really sure if he was doing enough. And he gets to the United States on a mission trip and it goes horribly wrong. And he's like, ah, I, I didn't succeed like I was supposed to succeed. And he's heading back to uh, Britain and he's on this ship and the mast breaks off in a crazy storm. And he's like just riddled with fear. And he looks over and these other Moravian missionaries, just another denomination of Christianity. They're like peaceful and singing hymns while the ship is like, <laughs> he's like, what is it that you have that you can have such peace? And essentially came down to, He'd been preaching Christ for a long time, but he never preached it to himself. 
And I think this is the problem with really upstanding citizens everywhere. We just sort of look around like, at least I'm not like those guys. And the reality is, in comparison to the righteousness of our God, we're all broken people. And so the, the second you start comparing, your pride comes out and you go, I'm just not that bad. And Jesus goes, yes, you are. You need a savior. And so that's the story here that I want us all to kind of reach into our heart and kind of wrap our head around. And so I wanted to sort of wrap our head around this one question is, will you receive Christ this Christmas? And what I mean by that is we're going to take the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Supper communion is this thing that, that we do to kind of remember what Jesus did for us. That's how you receive him. You receive him. We, we say, receive him every week. We want, we want to go like, this is Jesus. And I'm reminded of what he did for me and how my soul feeds on Jesus, just like my body feeds on this little teeny cracker. My soul is redeemed because he died on the cross for my sins. And so we're not going to do the thing where we all take the, the cracker to eat it together. We're, I want you to do this in your own time as we, as we sort of process this. And if you are not a Christian, if you're a person that's sort of been like, ah, I don't know. If you believe that the word was made flesh, dwelt among us, died on a cross for your sins and rose from the dead, I want you to take this alongside us because that one moment of faith is going to be that leap for you. Or if you're still not sure about it, man, text us. We would love to, this is your time to respond. If you're like, I'm not sure, I'm, I think I'm saved, but I don't really know, this is your time. Because when we take the, the bread, it reminds us that our soul feeds on Jesus like our body feeds on bread. When we drink the cup, it reminds us that he forgave us of all of our sin. And so if you're here today and you're a born again believer and you love Jesus and you ain't ashamed of it, please take it. But I want you, before you go and you take, take the Lord's Supper, I want you just to think of any sins that you need to confess. Just bring them to him. It's the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the other thing it says, 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And let's be honest, a lot of us are living lives self-deceived. And so this Christmas Eve, I want us to just take a moment and we're gonna pray. And in that time, I want you to bring to the Lord any darkness that separates you from the light and bring those sins to him and let him cleanse you from all unrighteousness and take the Lord's supper with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your grace, that your love and your mercy and your peace would fill each and every one of us. And we could have um, just hope. Lord, you came. You died on that cross. You rose from the dead. Lord, would somebody for the first time step over that line of faith and that same heartbeat that sort of beats in them and makes them go, I don't know, I don't know. And would it, would it shift to like, all I know is you. God, for those of us who've been walking with you a while and Christmas and the, the mess of it and the, the, the relationships that get sort of broken and messed up, would you start to do healing work by us bringing our own faults, not their faults, our faults to your table. And we say, God, I need you to cleanse me from my own unforgiveness. I need you to cleanse me from my own hardened heart. I need you to transform me from the inside out. Please, Jesus, just take that moment as we take the Lord's Supper together. So in Jesus' name we pray and everybody's sad.